Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. So if you're a lawyer, or if you have spent any time in a courtroom, and we don't need confession as to why that might be, but if you are familiar at all with any legal proceeding, the passage that I'm about to read should sound familiar. We're going to read from the prophet Micah, specifically chapter 6, and we're going to see that his writing is set in the context of a courtroom. God is taking his own people to court. In this chapter, we have charges, we have a verdict, we have a punishment, and then if you were to keep reading into chapter 7, you'll see that the people lament because they finally feel the weight of their sin. They finally understand what they've done wrong. In difficult times, just like what we're facing right now, the prophets of the Old Testament, they're the voice that we need to hear, not only because they are, of course, the word of God, but because they teach us to look inside ourselves first, to confess our own faults before we turn our accusations and our judgment toward others. You see, that's what Jesus meant when he told the religious people that they needed to worry about the log in their own eye before they started complaining about a speck of dust in someone else's. Now, for any legal proceeding to be just, if justice is going to be served in any case, there has to be both the speaking and the hearing of truth. Whether you're a prosecutor, a defense attorney, the judge, the jury, Only in the context of speaking and hearing the truth, and only the truth, will there ever be a just outcome. Now, last week, we celebrated Pentecost, this great holiday, the birthday of the church, the day when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples of Jesus and gave them the ability to speak so that the nations could hear the good news of Jesus. But you see, the miracle wasn't only in their ability to speak. The Spirit also opened the ears of people from other nations, people who didn't understand the Hebrew language, and they were able to hear the truth of Jesus that those disciples spoke. So the miracle of Pentecost was one of both speaking and hearing. The Holy Spirit captured the tongues of the disciples and the ears of the nations. So I want to start today with a prayer because I really believe that we are going to need that same miracle if we're going to be able to wrestle with God's word, not only for us today, but as we continue to go through some really difficult times in our culture. In the midst of all the chaos and injustice that's happening in the world today, we need to know first, you need to know that the words of your preacher are God's word and not Chad's opinion. And we also need to know that our ears are open so that we can hear God's word, whether it comforts us or unsettles us. When Jennifer and I are in a debate, I often hear what I want to hear. 
And if our relationship is going to heal from difficult debates, if we're going to continue to grow in love together, we can't just hear what we want to hear. We have to hear each other and we have to be willing to hear the truth, even hard truths. So today our opinions must be set aside. God's word must be proclaimed. And our ears must be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can hear the truth. So let's pray and then we'll read Micah 6, 1 through 8. Let's pray. Father, close my mouth so that your words would be spoken. Open all of our ears. Open our minds and our hearts so that what you speak is not only heard, but it sinks deep within us and becomes a part of who we are. We trust you to be present with us, to speak your truth to us in difficult times. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people, no matter where you are, say, Amen. So let's read this from Micah 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. It says, Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, the king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God, the people say? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God for it. So you need to imagine the scene in your mind. You enter into this courtroom and God is seated right where he belongs in the judge's chair. The people of Israel are the defendants. Now Micah plays a really interesting role. As the prophet, he serves as the voice of God and the representative of the people. He stands in this, this weird space between God and humanity. He's like the point in the letter L where the vertical line meets the horizontal. Now, right off the bat, the first thing that happens in this proceeding, God does something really unexpected. He steps down from his judge's seat. He actually changes place with the people of Israel and makes them the judge. He is now the defendant. And he says to them, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. He's saying to his children, judge me. How have I failed you? And the people have no answer. 
Now, this is so important because we often want to blame God for every evil in the world. We even blame God for the existence of evil in the first place. And in this reading, God makes himself the defendant. But in doing so, the people, they can bring no charge against him because he's done nothing wrong. There's nothing but silence. You see, what he's doing is beautiful and it is so loving because his goal isn't the hostile end of his relationship with his children. Instead, he found another way to get through to them, help them realize something on their own so that the relationship can be restored. His question to them, what have I done? It leads his people to consider, you know, why have we neglected God? Why have we become bored with the things of God and trusted instead in the things of this world? And as they answer those questions, they realize that they have no charge to bring against him. And that reveals that their neglect and their boredom, it's their own fault. It's not his. If there's no judgment to make against God, that means that the offenses that are being addressed are not God's fault and the people have to accept the truth that their sin is what threatens to destroy their covenant relationship with God. Now, they may have accepted that they're in the wrong, but the story tells us they still don't understand what they've done. To answer God's charge, they say this, well, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? You see, they realize that they're the cause of the broken relationship, but their response, the response is so typical of children. It's like, okay, we messed up. What more do you want? What could we do that would actually please you, God? And the list of things they try to offer to make things right, it's, it's ridiculous, it's nonsense. I mean, a thousand rams, only King David or King Solomon, some of the richest men who have ever lived, only they could have done that. 10,000 rivers of oil, that's, that's not a thing. It doesn't exist. The lives of their firstborn, they know that this is not a God who requires that. You see, their question back to God, it's nonsense. And it reveals just how far they've fallen. How they have completely misunderstood their relationship with God. They've completely misunderstood their own faith and their purpose for existing as God's chosen people. You see, they think that God is concerned about their worship, that the most important thing to God is their sacrifice and their worship, how they practice the details of their religion. But what God is really concerned about is their heart. He's really concerned about justice. So what happens next is incredible. Uh, when we get to verse nine, there is judgment and there is punishment and it's gonna be dramatic. There are serious consequences to their sin. But he's still their God. His covenant love and his commitment to them is not in question. So before he hands down their sentence, he takes a moment to remind them of a simple truth. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Notice that there's no restrictions. There's no don'ts. 
There's three simple do's. This verse is so important for us today. It's for disciples throughout history. It is a descriptive summary of the great commandment itself to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. It's like the perfect bumper sticker slogan for Judeo-Christian ethics. How do we love God and our neighbors? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The people respond to God by asking, what do you want us to do? And God is saying to them directly, I've already told you. There is nothing new. Only do what I have been instructing you to do for a thousand years. If you read the whole book of Micah, you're going to see the details of all the charges against them about their corruption. But in summary, Micah 6 tells us not necessarily what they did that was wrong. It tells us what they forgot to do as the people of God. That's their real sin. It was a sin of omission. They forgot to do justice. They were created and called to be a voice for the person who is oppressed, who's unprotected in their society, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, to fight for the rights of those who didn't have the power to fight for themselves, the elderly, the poor, the minorities among them. And I am not making this up and just applying it to our context. Those examples are present throughout the Old Testament over 2,000 times. Over 2,000 times, God uses that language about those groups of people and tells Israel, do justice, fight for them. Every person who is treated by society as anything less than a child of God, stand for them. Stand with them. Come to their defense. Be a doer of justice. They also forgot to love mercy. God is saying to them, practice the faithful love that I've shown you. Practice that love among yourselves and throughout the nations. Bless the nations the way that I've blessed you. He asked them, do you remember what I did? I freed you from slavery. I led you through the wilderness. I protected you from the curses of a powerful nation that could have destroyed you in an instant. I delivered you into a land that you now call your own. God is saying to them, you were not liberated from the bondage of slavery in Egypt just so you could turn around and oppress the weak and most vulnerable among you. You were given a kingdom and you were given a job to be a kingdom of priests, to bless one another and the nations around you so that every human on earth would come to know the love of God. This father is saying to his children, stop being so harsh to me. Stop trying to buy me off. Stop being so harsh to one another. Stop being so harsh to the world. Be as committed to kindness and mercy as I am committed to loving and blessing you. Be a lover of mercy. And they forgot to walk humbly with their God. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, follow me. 
come with me. He is telling us about a loving father who's inviting us to sit and cuddle in his lap. The one who is present with us in times of peace, walking hand in hand through the countryside. And he's also the all-powerful, mighty protector. He's that lion picking us up and carrying us through the chaos of disease and injustice and civil unrest. God is pleading with his people, trust me, walk with me. Keep me right by your side. No matter what's happening around you, I'm here. Walk with me. Be a child of God. That word walk in Hebrew, it's this word halakha. And it's the Hebrew word not only for walking, but it's the Hebrew word for ethics. Because how we walk is how we live. He's saying live every day with your family, with your neighbors, in your workplace, at school, live with me at your side. God is saying, let me be your ethics. I am justice and mercy. Keep me close by no matter where you are because the moment you walk away, the moment you start to depend on your own sense of justice and mercy, the moment you begin to define your own truth, the moment you begin to create your own ethics, That's when everything falls apart. With everything that's going on in the world, it might seem a little odd that I would choose to spend so much time and be so descriptive about a courtroom battle between God and the people of Israel. But I don't know of any passage that's more relevant to what's happening to us right now You see, a really hard truth that we need to face is that we have allowed so many other voices to disciple us. So many voices other than Jesus are teaching us how to walk. Our political parties, our philosophers, media personalities, authors, self-help gurus, all kinds of people, we listen to all of these voices. And the difficult truth is we listen to them because they typically tell us exactly what we want to hear. We get our news from sources not because we trust that they're going to tell us the truth, but because they tell us what we want to hear. We've allowed ourselves to be trained. We've allowed ourselves to listen only to those that we already agree with. And in doing so, we have unlearned the skill, how to talk to others, especially those with whom we disagree. In our culture, social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, they have become the most powerful voices in the world. And one of the ways they have done that is by creating these algorithms that show us the things that they have decided we want to see. I clicked on a link to a company that makes leather bags and notebooks. Guess what is on my social media feed every single day? But it's not just products. If you click on a link that espouses the views of the political left or right, you'll see more stories from that side of the argument. You'll see stories that you want to hear. And you'll also begin to see stories that will mock 
and diminish the viewpoint from the other side. As the world wrestles with the horrific image of George Floyd suffocated to death under the knee of a corrupt man wearing the uniform of a protector, which, by the way, is just the definition of a wolf in sheep's clothing. As the world wrestles with the chaos in the streets that interrupts the voice of peaceful protesters, we cannot allow Facebook or Twitter or MSNBC or CNN or Fox News to tell us what we are supposed to think about it all. We can't let them disciple us through this. There is only one voice. There's only one voice that we should hear. There's only one lens through which we should see what's happening in the world around us. And it's the word of God. You see, we cannot put God on trial for what's happening around us. This is on us. We are broken. We are so broken. I am praying constantly that I don't allow those voices to tell me what to think. What to think about systemic racism. What to think about rioting and looting and vandalism. What to think about peaceful protest. What to think about the use and the abuse of power. So the other day I decided to tell Facebook what I think. And it came out not in the form of a criticism or a challenge. It came out not in the form of a finger pointed outwards, but it came out in a lament, in tears. It came out as a confession. And I wanna share with you today what I wrote a couple days ago on social media. I started by quoting 1 John 2.11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And then I wrote, that darkness has corrupted humanity and we are witnessing the results. A suffocating knee to a man's neck occurred in a society that can't effectively talk about that evil inhuman act without arguing and accusing each other, even though we all agree it was an evil inhuman act. We are utterly broken. I am part of a society that can't listen to the cries of the oppressed. That's what Dr. King meant. A society's inability to hear sparks action that speaks as the voice of the unheard. And now we're watching as some take advantage of the unheard by adding in violence and destruction. The unheard then lose the only voice that they have left. We are utterly broken. Imagine, imagine feeling unheard, hopeless, helpless, and desperate. What would you do? I'm a part of a society that can't even find middle ground when a virus strikes all of us. A society that decides if you disagree with me, that means you hate me, and my response is to hate you in return. We are utterly broken. This is not the dream that we've been told about. This is not what our grandparents and theirs fought for. This is a nightmare. 
Many of my friends have written that we are fighting two viruses, COVID-19 and racism, and they're right. And the truth is both viruses come from the same source, the brokenness in us described in Genesis 3. We are utterly broken. We have failed at being human. That's the definition of sin. That is life lived in darkness. But there is light. There is hope. There is a different way. It's not someone you'll ever have the chance to vote for. It's someone who can actually transform our hard and broken hearts. That someone can transform us into a people who are capable of sacrificial love for one another, who will seek justice first, care for those who can't care for themselves, speak for those who have lost their voice, protect those who are vulnerable, feed and clothe those who are hungry and naked. When you are the one who is voiceless, powerless, hungry and naked, you'll be thankful his just people are around. That someone doesn't force us, but we do have to surrender it all to him. We are called to repent from this brokenness and be transformed into his just people. This is the only way. I want to become a person who will deal with a log in my own eye first. I want to do my part to protect our community and continue to live life. I want to do my part to end all injustice, especially now the evil of systemic racism, an evil that we didn't invent, but it's an evil that we can't ignore. I honestly don't know where to start or what to say. So I guess I'll start with the darkness in my own heart and trust that someone will continue to make that change in me first. I always end emails with grace and peace, but grace cannot be received without repentance, and there is no peace without justice. And Jesus is the embodiment of both. I believe this is the gospel. This is the good news in the midst of our tears. Someone asked me a couple days ago um, how I felt preparing to preach on a week like this, and I used the word terrified. Terrified to be in a position to have to speak into this context. Garrett asked me just yesterday before we did our first live service with some people back in the sanctuary how I felt, and I used the same word, terrified. Yesterday, as we had a small group of people in here worshiping with us for the first time since March, that was a day that we should have been celebrating. That we should have been celebrating that some of us have been able to get back together. But it was also a day that we were confronted with images that are just simply evil. Images that break the heart of God. And they're images that must break our hearts too. And this is a difficult thing to say, but I do believe this is word of God truth. If you can't discern the difference between the images you see on TV and God's heart for his people in scripture, in this passage today in particular, then you need to let God put your heart on trial. 
And I know that's a difficult thing to say, but I can say it to you because two nights ago at 2 a.m., my heart was put on trial and it was found guilty. And it's too soon and it's too raw, but I will share that story with you sometime soon. So, so what do we do? Well, from this moment on, we need to ask God to give us eyes to see the images on our screens through the lens of Micah 6.8. We need to ask God to give us ears to hear the news and comments on social media through the filter of Micah 6.8. We need to let the word of God be the interpretive guide for the chaos that we're witnessing every day. And then we need to ask him, what are you calling us to do about it? And then we need to ask for the faith and the courage to do it. You see, what I know from the book of Micah and from the whole testimony of scripture, it should enrage the Christian heart to see any image bearer of God suffering under the knee of an evil man. It should enrage the Christian heart to see minority communities and cities ravaged by opportunists who are rioting and looting, who are taking away the voice of the unheard. And it is wrong to let those evil voices distract us from the pursuit of real justice for God's children. So I think the right place for us to begin is with our tears. It's with our sadness. It's with lament. Lament over the real injustice toward minority communities. And right now, the African-American community in particular. These are simply injustices that we can no longer deny. I mean, look, we all agree that the image of that knee on that man's neck is evil and wrong. I honestly haven't met anybody that doesn't agree that that image is evil and wrong. But maybe the reason we aren't outraged by it is because we're just so used to seeing it. That's evidence of systemic racism. It's not saying that you in particular are racist. It's saying that we are in a culture that has desensitized us to stuff that should break our hearts. That image should enrage us and it should call us to action. I'm afraid that we're just too used to seeing it. The right place to begin is with lament. That requires repentance, and repentance is more than just words. Repentance leads to action. The next step is confession. Repentance accompanies confession. In what way have we, what way have I contributed to that injustice? Me personally, us, our church, the church, the nation, how have we contributed to injustice either by action or inaction? The next right step is a righteous anger that won't tolerate the abuse of the image bearers of God anymore. Won't tolerate that abuse in the church, in our country, or around the world. 
And we can't let that anger lead us to sin. So scripture says, don't let your anger lead you to sin, but let it lead us to acts of love and redemption. Let that anger lead us to the heart of God. Reform us into a people who will remember daily what does the Lord require to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our Lord. Glory be to God. Let's pray. Father, the root of everything wrong is the human heart. Our failure to be truly human and you are the only solution for that problem. So invade us, invade our hearts as individuals and as a community. Invade us as a people. Heal our broken hearts so that things can be made right. We know that we will never achieve that 100% here in this place on our own. It's only with you and your coming kingdom. That's the only hope we have. So Father, remind us of the words that we find at the end of your scriptures that one day, one day there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, no more racism, no more hatred. One day. But until that day, until that day, teach us block out those voices that are discipling us, discipling us every single day and teach us to walk in the way of justice and mercy and humility. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at FPC underscore Kingwood. We'll see you next time.